You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Monster. I am your host, Marie, and I'm going to be bringing you three more monsters from the Monster Manual that you can use for scenarios. Uh, I try to pick some either underrated monsters or try to subvert tropes from very common ones. So let's go ahead and jump into it. And we are again going to letter B as we work our way through the alphabet. So our first monster this week is the Basilisk. Now, there are a couple of different ways this is described in myth and legend. If you've seen Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets as a snake, in the D&D Monster Manual, it looks more like a kind of large iguana with spikes. And it has eight legs. <laughs> so already we've got a lot of options for how this thing can look if you're wanting to mix it up a little bit. In the 5th edition monster manual, the Basilisk, though, uh, aside from being described as having blue skin and eight legs, it is described as adaptable to most environments, meaning you can put this monster in basically any scenario, in any environment, wherever your players are. Probably minus, you know, downtown Metropolis. But this means this monster can be used just about any time in a campaign. These things can also be trained. And through that training, they learn how to avoid the gaze of their master. Meaning that while they're not intelligent, because they do have a two intelligence, <laughs> that means they at least understand enough to know behaviors and habits. So you can treat this thing almost like a dog, which is what we're going to be doing going into. One other thing I do want to note before I present these scenarios for it. The 3.5 Monster Manual for the Basilisk describes these as um, stalking, not stalking. Wherever they lie and wait for prey. That's what I wrote down. Whatever that term is. <laughs> they will basically lie and wait for the prey to show up. And they can also gather in small colonies, both for mating and mutual defense. So a lot of times I think Basilisk, I think a creature in the woods. You can have a lot of these at once. Well, relatively speaking. But if you've got six or seven of these things floating around in a forest, that's a bit of a problem. So you don't have to have just one. You can stack these up if you wanted to. Now, for the scenario ideas, this first one is going to be a little bit tragic, unfortunately, but this is one I really like. This is the old yellow approach. So your party is sent by a local lord to track down a basilisk. This basilisk was actually part of his guard patrol. And through something, it turns his son into stone. Now, the only way to be unpetrified from a basilisk is to get the gullet of the basilisk and create oil that will basically act as an antidote. So you are sent to hunt down this basilisk that has escaped, retrieve it, and or the gullet at the very least, so he can save his son. Now, what's actually happened here is that this was an accident. The kid was playing with the creature, accidentally got caught in his gaze, and all of a sudden the creature ran off because it realized it messed up because it wasn't supposed to meet his master's gaze. So you've got this kind of tragic accident of you want to save the kid, but the creature's not really at fault. It's not doing anything other than what it kind of just is innately able to do. So you kind of have to work that out. I don't have anything specific as to if there's a way to find another basilisk. If you wanted to, you could. Again, they do congregate. So maybe you can track down something else. If you wanted to find someone who could just create the oil, you could do that too. Either way, you've got the issue of the Lord wants to kill this basilisk to save his son. 
but it's not the creature's fault and the son legitimately is going to be upset about this in the aftermath. Which kind of brings us to the second scenario, which is a little similar, but it's not quite as tragic. The Lord is tasking you to bring back his missing basilisk, which is part of his guard duty, again, protect himself and his family, and his son is upset because his pet, so to speak, is missing. So basically this would be if, you know, Old Yellow didn't happen. <laughs> so you are sent with a toy that this basilisk will recognize and should come back to you with. However, you discover in the forest there is a colony of these creatures. So you have to decide, are you going to entice this basilisk? basilisk? Yeah, that's hard to say. <laughs> are you going to entice the basilisk to come back with you? Or are you going to live in the forest with its own kind? Again, kind of makes that tragic choice there because if you try to entice it back, you may end up having to fight all the other creatures because that's potentially four or five other basilisks you have to deal with. And if you don't bring it back, the kid's going to be upset, but it's probably safe in the long run anyway, as we saw from the first scenario idea. So those are two options for the basilisk. I really wanted to try to twist that one because so much of it is just a creature that's stalking you. I like the idea that you could train it, and that's what I wanted to lean into for those scenarios. Our next monster, <laughs> hold on with me because I promise it's not as obvious as it seems, is a beholder. Now, if you know anything about us here at Potato Candy, I love beholders. Casey also loves beholders. They're one of our favorite creatures. They're just fun. However, there are many types of beholders, and that's what I want to go into for this one. The type of beholder I want to focus on for this episode is spectators. Now, spectators are kind of baby beholders, so to speak. They're tiny. They're a little bit easier to fight. They're not as powerful. They only have four eye stalks. So it's not quite as bad. But they are magically summoned to guard something for 101 years. That is basically their job. They don't really exist for much else, from what I can tell from Monster Manual. They don't just float around because. Or if they do, it's because the 101 years has expired and they have nothing to do anymore. Now, once they have nothing to do, they have no purpose, which means these things go insane, <laughs> which is really fun because they also don't speak. They speak telepathically. And because they are guarding something for 101 years, they're often isolated, which makes them even more insane. So an idea for this beholder is you have a spectator that is basically guarding an ancient ruin. That 101 years have obviously passed, and it now has nothing to do, but it basically has developed a split personality. So as your party is going through these ruins, they are hearing a lot of different voices in their head that don't seem to add up to much. Now, they might discover the spectator, and if they do, they will probably discover one of his personalities when they do talk to it face-to-face. -face. Well, talk, in a way. But they have to figure out the other personalities, because... You could create personalities that are very playful, very nice, very helpful even, and personalities that are very dark and very violent. So you have to decide, are they going to just avoid this thing the entire time, or are they going to actually fight it? Spectators are not especially tough. They only have 39 hit points, so they're an easy fight for a lot of higher level parties. But they do have eye stalks that have magical abilities, so they can be a hindrance. But again, these things are not inherently evil. These things are actually lawful neutral in the monster manual, so they don't have to fight it if they don't really want to. Now, the second scenario idea for this one is actually a party going and knowing there's a spectator there. This spectator is guarding a holy relic 
And the party's job is to convince it to let them have that relic. Now, spectators are tasked with guarding things for 101 years. So your party has to convince the spectator that that time has passed, even though it clearly has not. The reason they're going in is because the cleric needs this item. And the cleric who was serving this town or area, whatever you want to set it at, before him, summoned a, a spectator to guard it. Great. Well, it's only been like 50 years. And unfortunately, the spectator knows a cleric, or at least might recognize him. So he can't go in there. He doesn't want to kill the creature because this creature is doing its job. He doesn't want to hurt it, but he needs this relic. So you have to convince the spectator, hey, you don't have to be here anymore. Can we just take this and leave? Again, could turn into a fight, which is always possible. So you have that option, but they can also just convince it otherwise. And of course, if they convince it otherwise, now have the issue of a spectator who might figure out that it has been deceived and it might become angry because of that. I don't think I would necessarily make this thing follow the party, but that does beg the question of what's going to happen to the next person who goes into this area. So that is a couple ideas for the spectator. Again, it's a lot of fun. It's a really cute little creature as well because it's just kind of like a mini beholder. So you can throw that at your party without them having to worry about being disintegrated immediately. For our last monster under the letter B, we have blights. Now, there are three types of blights. you got needle, twig, and vine, and they go up in complexity as you get through them. In general, they are described as the roots of the Goltheus tree. Basically, a vampire did terrible magic, summoned an abomination, and all of the roots have spread and will occasionally summon up these blights. And all of the blights will often display traits of the spirit that spawned them. So if you have a single vampire that spawned all of these creatures, they all have kind of similar traits. The vines are actually ones that they get formed in darkness and they all overtake natural plants. So you have... There's not really a good picture, unfortunately, in the book for me to look at because the one that I can see looks like humanoids, which is cool, but I actually don't like that image. I'd much rather have just a vine spreading and just taking over all the natural wildlife. And the fun thing about the vine blights is they can actually speak. They'll often speak in taunts or riddles, and they'll bargain with even more powerful foes. So this is a fairly intelligent creature considering it is formed from an evil root from a tree that may or may not even exist. So a couple of ideas for this one is you have a town that's dealing with this infestation of twig blights. Because if you have one type of blight, usually you've got the other one spawning as well. All these twig blights are coming from this vine blight that's very deep in the forest that's taken root. And this vine blight has a vendetta against the town. Now, I wrote down a couple ideas as to why it could be if there's, you know, witchcraft accusations or if it's an outcast, maybe, depending upon your scenario and your world setting. You could even have a spurned lover who's seeking revenge against the town. Maybe, you know, they were promised to someone and then the town messed that up and so they're blaming everyone. So you've got this fine blight that has a vendetta against town for a very specific reason. Now, the party will discover the vine, fine blight at some point and... They can potentially get it to back off, but it's going to request a victim. And this victim needs to be someone linked to that vendetta specifically. So the spirit that, air quotes, created the vine blight is the reason why it's doing these things. So it's going to request the mayor. It's going to request its former lover or whoever it is. And the party has to decide, are they going to sacrifice this person so this vine blight will leave? Or maybe they can appease the spirit by doing this. 
or are they going to fight it again? Most of the creatures we've talked about so far this episode are fairly low level, but if you're a level one or two party, anything can kill you. So giving a party social option is always a good thing. The second scenario idea for the Blights is, I will admit, blatantly stolen from TV show. <laughs> I'm not going to say which one because I don't want to be that person, <laughs> but it's stolen from a TV show. But you have the idea that the town has been protected by a dark forest. Oh, not protected from. Oh, goodness. I said the whole whole thing so wrong. <laughs> the town has been protected from a dark forest by an ancient power, and that power is now fading. So your party has figured out a way to restore the power, or these blights are going to finally be able to take over town spread. And you have a single vine blight at the very center that is directing all of this. So they either need to stop the core, which is the vine blight, so at least everything else will slowly die off, or they need to figure out a way to bring this power back, back to town. I feel like I should say what the show is. This is for My Little Pony. <laughs> this is the season three intro, basically, is what happens. And immediately, like, this feels like a D&D campaign. Because you have this enchanted forest that has all these dark vines spreading that destroy everything. And they have to figure out a way to stop it. So, into D&D mode... You have a vine blight out there spawning all these other blights, and it just needs to spread darkness, so you have to decide how are you going to stop this thing. So we have a couple scenarios that way for the blights, specifically the vine blights, the spectator, and the basilisk. So let me know what you think of these scenario ideas, what you would do with these creatures, if you have something different you would do with them. Uh, again, I'm really excited about the idea of running the old yellow one for the Basilisk. It's dark and it's very sad, but I think it'd be a lot of fun for the party to see how they would actually react to all of it. Especially if you have a Drew that can do speak with animals, because that would be very tragic to see. <laughs> next episode for Blank Monster, we're going to go into the letter C. So I will see you in the next episode. Hello, Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy.